0: And I want to thank all of you for uh, making the choice to get out of bed and to come to worship on this time-change, rainy Sunday. I know that it wasn't an easy choice. And I'm reminded of the mother who was trying to get her reluctant son to get out of bed and go to church. Over and over again, she knocked on his door and told him to get up, but he kept on making excuses Church is boring. They don't like me there, and I don't like them, and I'm tired. Finally, his exasperated mother lowered the boom. You have to get up. You're 47 years old, and you're the only minister they've got. This morning, I can really relate to this man, not because I don't want to be here, but because I really didn't want to get up today. (laughs) It was not an easy choice. (laughs) Today's scripture comes at the end of a discussion between Jesus and a Pharisee named Nicodemus who sat on the high council in Jerusalem. Jesus has been the subject of much discussion among his colleagues, and so Nicodemus wants to learn more about him. So he makes the choice to visit Jesus and talk with him personally. If you read into chapter 3, you'll see that just Jesus tries over and over again to help Nicodemus understand what he is about. But Nicodemus remains confused, and I don't blame him. Understanding the truth about Jesus required Nicodemus to shed preconceptions and long standing beliefs and to become like a newborn child, open to new and different ideas. Finally, Jesus points Nicodemus to a story that he would have known well, but that is pretty obscure to us a story from the Old Testament book of Numbers. Here's the story. Freed from Egyptian slavery, the people of Israel are on their way to the land which God had promised to their ancestors. It's a long journey, some 40 years. And they trek through wild and barren lands where there are not many resources. And as is natural for human beings, the people complain. They tell Moses that he has brought them out of Egypt to die because there is no food and water. They even tell Moses that they are sick and tired of eating manna, the food that God had provided them in response to an earlier complaint. These Israelites complain a lot. Well, this time, God doesn't respond by sending manna. This time, a weary God sends poisonous snakes. The snakes bite the people, and many of them die, and the people are filled with remorse. They beg Moses to ask God to take away the snakes. But God doesn't do that. Instead, he tells Moses to fashion a snake or a serpent out of bronze and to put it up high on a pole. Whenever a serpent or a snake bit someone, that person could look up at the bronze serpent and they would live. Whenever someone was bitten, they would live if they made the choice to look at the symbol of their sin and of God's mercy. And then Jesus says to Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He's referring, of course, to his crucifixion which, like the bronze snake, has a double meaning. For in this gospel, when Jesus is physically lifted up on the cross, he is also metaphorically lifted up in exaltation. You see, unlike the other three gospels, John's gospel does not see the crucifixion as the moment of Jesus' humiliation and defeat. John sees it as the moment when Jesus accomplishes the purpose for which he came. And what is that purpose? The next two verses, which are probably the most, the most likely, verse, the verses you are most likely to know out of the Bible, say it all. For God so loved the world that he sent his son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. Not to condemn, but to save. So often the cross, like the poisonous stakes, has been seen only as God's condemnation of humankind, the punishment from which Jesus saves us. But that's not what the Gospel of John says. On this, on the contrary, in this Gospel, to quote David Lowe's, the, go- the cross, excuse me, the cross is not a mechanism that effects salvation, but the sign that reveals God's love for the wayward world most concretely. Jesus is lifted up on the cross so that everyone. Indeed, the whole world might see God's love and receive salvation, the gift of eternal life. So beautiful. Which is why the next verse has come as something of a shock. Those who believe in him are not condemned. But those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Suddenly, there is a condition to be met. Suddenly, one must believe in order to receive eternal life and even perhaps the love of God itself. Which leads me to ask, what does it mean to believe? Over time, belief has come to be defined by so many churches and Christians As the affirmation of certain doctrines or theological statements about God and Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Bible, etc., to believe is to agree to a particular understanding of who Jesus is and what he did. That's fine, except that far too often belief has been used as a litmus test for inclusion in the church if you don't believe the right things, if you don't say the right things, then you are clearly one of those who are condemned already. Here's where the Gospel of John opens our understanding. For this Gospel writer, to believe is not a matter of the mind, but of the heart. It is not a choice that we make to earn God's love by saying the right things, is an a choice to accept a gift that God offers us, the gift of a relationship of mutual love and trust through Jesus Christ and through Him with God. In a blog on this passage, Debbie Thomas notes that the English word believes comes from the German word beleben, which means love. She writes, To believe is not to hold an opinion. To believe is to treasure, to hold something beloved, to give my heart over it to it without reservation. To believe in something is to invest it with my love. That's true in the ancient languages of the Bible as well, she writes. When the writers of the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament spoke of faithfulness, they were not writing about an intellectual surrender to a factual truth. They were writing about fidelity, trust, and confidence. As they sought to believe in God was to place their full confidence in him, to throw their whole hearts, minds, and bodies into his hands. The fact is, she says, I can't think of any significant human relationships in which doctrine matters more than love and trust. So why should my relationship with God be any different? When I ask my husband, my children, or my friends to believe in me, I am not asking them to believe certain facts about me. I am saying, dare to hang on. Dare to believe that I won't let you go. Trust me with your heart. Trust me with your love, your faith, and your vulnerability. Allow you to allow yourself to treasure me as I have come to treasure you. And to do that, to love and to trust and to treasure another, is to make a choice. On the face of it, that sounds easy, but like many things, It's easier said than done, and never more so than in our relationship with God. Why? Because God is truth, and the light of God has a way of revealing all of the things that we would much rather keep hidden. And this is the judgment, John says, that the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. And this is the judgment. The Greek word we translate as judgment is krisis, the basis of our word crisis. Jesus coming into the world is a crisis, a turning point in history that puts a choice before all who encounter him, to look away from Jesus lifted up on the cross because we cannot imagine a God who loves us that much, or to lift our eyes to the cross in joyful acceptance of the love that God offers us in him, to nurse the biting pain of guilt and shame, or to dare to acknowledge our need of God's grace and to receive healing, to stay in the dark because we don't want anyone, most of all God, to know that we are not perfect people, or to come to the light knowing that in Christ we are forgiven, to hold God at arm's length for fear of what we might have to give up, thus condemning ourselves to a life of cynicism and hopelessness, or to trust in God's promises and to open ourselves to a life of peace and joy and hope. That is, in essence, eternal life here and now. It's our choice. Three things. First, it's too important to remember that the relationship of love and trust that God's offered us is not an exclusive relationship. As John 13 makes clear, God's love is for the whole world, the cosmos in Greek, not just for those who are part of Christ's church. God's love is a gift to be shared, not to be hoarded. Which makes it interesting to me that this gospel connects belief with deeds. To give one's heart to God is to give one's heart to the world and the people whom God loves Jesus made this very clear during the Last Supper when he washed his disciples' feet and instructed them to do the same for each other. To believe in him, to follow him, to be in relationship with him is to share God's love by helping others as he did. Finally, I think that the choice to look at Jesus and believe to be in relationship with him is a choice we make every day. Every day, in a variety of situations, God's love is offered to us, and every day we have the opportunity to walk in its light or to reject it. God will not force or coerce us. It's our choice. And if we choose to turn away from that love, God will still love us Of that, I have no doubt. But we will miss out on so much. For if we dare to look at the cross and see love reflected there and let that love permeate our lives like the light in this room that permeates our sight, we will know the truth that God indeed loved the world and loved it so much that he sent his son, his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but may have eternal life. And we too will be lifted up. Thanks be to God. Amen.